This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Your love, your power is at work in my life. Your love, your love, your love, your power. That word. Sing one more time. Your love, your love, your love, your power is that word. And I will worship you. With all of my heart, and I will worship you with all of my mind, and I will worship you with all of my strength. You are my God, you are my God. Oh. You're my, you're my, you're my, you're my, you're my, yes, you are my God. Oh, you are my God, yeah. Father, we thank you as we go into your word. Thank you, Lord, because there's revelation knowledge. Thank you, Lord, because our eyes are open to see. Thank you, Lord, because you grant the competence to teach your word as it ought to be taught. Thank you, Lord, because it's like we keep playing for me. I just reduce the volume. Praise God. And let's have a seat. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. I hope you had a good week. I have had a tremendous week. As you can see, I'm dressed in a ceremonial fashion. Praise God. Hallelujah. Because I'm sure you know why. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. All right, so um, we'll continue in our series, the Bible study we've been doing so far. Two weeks ago, we started a teaching on charismatics, things pertaining to the spirit, on spirituals. Hallelujah. And we started by doing a, um, a brief historical synopsis of the history of Pentecostalism in Nigeria. And um, I tried to differentiate the difference between Pentecostalism and Charismatism. Praise God. Um, All Pentecostals are Charismatics, but not all Charismatics are necessarily Pentecostals. Praise God. So when we talk about Charismatics, Charismatics talks to or refers to um, all the practice of the um, spiritual manifestation of abilities uh, hallelujah so 
charismatics refers to all the practice of spiritual abilities as described um, as described in the scriptures praise God all abilities as described in the scriptures hallelujah so that's what charismatics are about so you can have people who are not Pentecostals but subscribe to charismatics that is people who may be of the Catholic um, um, Catholic stripe of the reformed stripe of the evangelical stripe of the Wesleyan stripe of the Baptist stripe who believe and practice the gifts of the spirit praise God but a Pentecostal by definition is a is a is a a family in the body of Christ that builds their gathering, that builds their church around the move of the charismatics. And we ought to trace the history back to the beginning of the 20th century, the early 1900s, with the explosion that came after the Azusa, Azusa Street revival. Praise God. But we were able to look a bit further back to see where the seeds were sown in the great awakening in the 1700s hallelujah then we talked about the work of george whitfield and jonathan edwards and how these guys um, um midwifed the great event of the great awakenings the second and the, the first great awakening and the second great awakening which were marked by uh, mighty demonstrations of all kinds of emotionalisms and it led to a kind of, you know, explosion of revival. Hallelujah. Praise God. Church, are we together? Or have you forgotten because it's two weeks ago? Have you forgotten? Hallelujah. So this week, um, you know, I told you that we're going to take our time with this series. Because this series is actually very central to Christians' effectiveness on their earthly work. It's very central. Apostle Paul writes in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 told the Corinthian church that dear brethren, I would not have you be ignorant concerning spirituals. So the believer needs to be well taught and well grounded on all issues that have to do with charismatics because that is a focal point by which all kinds of errors can come into the body. It's a focal point by which all kinds of errors can come into the body. Do you know it's very interesting? It's actually very interesting that when, um, when we look at the eschatological portions of scripture, scriptures that have to talk about the last days and the things that will happen at the end of time and dispensation, what we consistently see from Daniel to First and Second Thessalonians to the book of Revelations to Second Peter and all that, what you, be, you see a common thread. And what you keep seeing there is that the Antichrist or those that will stand in opposition to the gospel of Christ, one of the ways that they will lead many away is through charismatics. Praise God. So we talk about all kinds of how they will lead people by various fake signs and wonders and all that. So that means, that's why Apostle Paul will tell us to test every spirit. When he says to test every spirit, a, a huge um, portion of that is informed by the fact that um, when it comes to God's word, it's easy to tell heresy. It's easy if you are well taught. But when it comes, when we say the Bible, so a person has to test every spirit, you know, you are beginning to, to delve into the pack, into the area of charismatics. You need to be sure that what someone is calling a move of the spirit is of God, lest the devil come in unawares and take advantage of people's ignorance to exert certain stuff. 
And apart from the fact that it can be a focal point for all kinds of errors, it's also important to understand because the gifts of the spirits are gifts. A gift is a good thing. Hallelujah. It's a gift of God to us, to enable us to be effective on the earth, to enable us to live out the fullness of the will of God for us as believers. It enables us to stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God for us. So the believer ought to understand charismatics properly. Hallelujah. And so after establishing the history today, we're going further to to, um, a title, something I called Emotionalism versus Charismatics. Amen? Emotionalism versus Charismatics. And I believe it's very important for us to understand is the next installment of the series that I want us to understand going forward so that there won't be confusion as we go forward. So that people don't misunderstand what is being said. Because many times, we are talking to someone about gifts of the Spirit. The pictures that people have in their minds are emotionalistic stuff. Praise God. And it's important that you divide them and separate what they actually mean. And as we do that, as we explain all that, you know, we'll be able to go on and and gather more ground um, as we teach. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, let me start by um, describing what theologians call emotionalism. Emotionalism refers to that, um, refers to all kinds of emotional responses that people manifest in um, revivalist settings. Hallelujah. All kinds of emotional manifestations that people manifest under revivalist settings. Um, settings. It's a function of the psychology of a person. It's a response to an impulse in the inner man of a person, in a a person's inner man. It's a matter of psychology. It's a reflection of a person's values. It's a reflection of a person's understanding. It's a reflection of the sum of a person's psychology with respect to an impulse. It's very important that you understand this. Just follow me. It is a function of a person's psychology with respect to an impulse in the inner man. We're not talking about the impulse yet. So, from the Great Awakening, something happened. Like I, I, you know, I, like I laid the foundation. In 17, um, 1720s to the 1740s and then after the 1760s to the 1780s, when the Great Awakenings were happening on the eastern, um, the eastern border of the United States at the time, when George Whitfield will be preaching and Jonathan Edwards will be preaching and you know they were preaching about revival and people taking God seriously again and all those kinds of things one very interesting thing used to happen they began to see for the first time in a while like since the patristic age where um, they began to see that as the people are preaching and as the people are talking we would have people having all kinds of manifestations people getting slain people falling under the anointing, people beginning to laugh, people begin to cry under the anointing, begin to have people um, begin to see visions, begin to fall into trances, people becoming catatonic, so to speak, or people begin to resp- um, manifest all kinds of, um, you know, external stuff. And then this thing began to, began to worry the church because at the time, the reformation was what was entrenched in the church. And they began to worry a lot of the pastors at the time, and they began to write against it. And then Jonathan Edwards at the time, a very great intellectual, like I told you guys, he was the one that was the first president of Princeton University. 
um, mighty intellectual. He now wrote, a, you know, he wrote a treatise, he wrote a, an entire uh, systematic theology on um, the issue of um, emotionalism and re- emotional revivalism and all that. And we might, we might touch on one of the two things that he said um, going forward. But you know, that's where the thing began to go. So, and then, so that thing that we saw in the Great Awakening, those you know, emotional revivalism that we saw in the Great Awakening, we did not see so much of it through the 1800s and through the 1900s. By the, by the later part of the um, 1800s, we began to see it coming up again. We began to see it, you know, sporadically coming up in some places again. But at the beginning of the 1900s, there was a massive explosion with the right, with the Azusa Street Revival that now, you know, covered and engulfed the whole world. And led to a lot of lives being saved, led to the rise of Pentecostalism, the rise of a new face and look to the church. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. So that's what emotionalism is. That's what emotionalism. Meanwhile, when we talk about charismatics, when we say something is, charis- is, is charismatics, what we are referring to is um, all the substantive move of the Holy Ghost as described in, in the Bible. So we'll talk about word of knowledge. That's not an issue of what emotionalism, right? So you can give someone a word of knowledge with a straight face, isn't it? And the person can receive it with a face straight and say thank you very much and walk away, isn't it? Am I right? You can heal the sick and the person will stand up and say thank you very much for healing me all right and walk away right you can do a miracle and people say oh thank you very much chop knuckle you're all right so emotionalism is from charismatic we'll talk about charismatics we're talking about the substantive uh, supernatural abilities that the indwelling of the holy spirit has afforded a christian today so that's where the difference is so emotionalism is our external according to the scriptures what is the place of both of them according to the scriptures such that the believer is not in error hallelujah praise god um let's look at the only undisputable um scripture for emotionalism that we have and i'll tell you why it's the only indisputable one acts chapter 2 So, now, to be for, I'm sure most people would know that um, there are a lot of people for and against emotionalism in the body, in the church, general among Christians, right? And um, there's a reason for that. If we read Acts chapter 2, where the apostles, the apostles and the disciples of Jesus, when the Holy Ghost fell upon them and began to speak with tongues, and then they began to prophesy, um, the Bible tells us that um, while they were ministering, let's just read it from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Delamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. 
Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? So, they are hearing those guys speaking their own language. These guys are Galileans, so that means that they are Jews from Galilee, right? So, they are from Galilee and Galileans have their language. But you now have Jews from other countries, other native lands, right? Because being a Jew is not biological. Do you understand that? Being a Jew is not a biological issue. It is primarily a religious issue. So, you can be black and become a Jew. You can convert into Judaism. Do you understand that? Your ancestor might have been um, biologically a Jew like maybe 200 years ago and your ancestors would have married other races over time but your family still identified with judaism biologically they might not be able to find any dna of the jews inside of you but you subscribe to the religion and that makes you a jew do you understand that for example if you go to israel today all the people you will see there or most of the people you will see there will look like either europeans or arabs but the Jews of old, of ancient this thing, were mid, um, and they had Mediterranean features. They are not Europeans. Do you understand that? These are things that are very important. Now, anyway, verse 13, and this is the point. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So, the people that were watching them, apart from the fact that they were speaking in their language, saw something else in their behavior. And that thing that was in their behavior was something that they could liken to someone who is intoxicated. That is emotionalism. And that's why Peter, verse 14, says, and Peter stood up with 11, with, uh, with 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So, they were doing something as they were stalking in their body that makes someone to suppose or presuppose that they are drunk that is emotionalism because a person can speak in tongues and prophesy with a straight face and the lord says that you know this is this and that is that and that shall happen and this shall happen and shall. thank you very much god bless you and be going but let me tell you what most likely will have happened if you can get the picture these guys have been waiting for the promise of the father Jesus has told them that you guys should wait in Jerusalem. Something is coming upon you. And then they now finally received it. Do you understand that? And they were aware. They knew what was happening. And they could tell what was going on around them. So as they were speaking with tongues, right? And they were speaking in the strange language of people that were not around them. They would have been rejoicing. They would have been laughing. They would have been doing things. They would have been saying, why are you people drunk? They would have been like, you know that kind of thing. They would have been having all kinds of external manifestations in their bodies, that someone will look at them and say, ah, I will eat Praise God. That is emotionalism. What is the place of that? What is the place of that external manifestation of the things of the Spirit? Of the impulses that we receive inside as believers? What is the place of it? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it something that is worth encouraging? Can it be done too much? How do we know emotionalism that is from the move of the spirit and the one that is demonic? One of the reasons why Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and asked them to behave their ways and to guard their emotionalism in a certain way is that the scholars tell us, theologians explain to us, that it's one of the motivations was to distinguish the believers' meetings 
from the um, meetings of pagan priestesses. For example, he begins to tell them things like, um, cover your hair. Because you see the propriety of we worship when we cover our hair. We know from history, we know that when the pagan mistresses are, 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 you know, are, are prophesying under the influence of their spirits, have you guys watched 300 before? There's one funny part there. You will see the way they do and all that. Actually, if you watch them and you watch um, a believer's meeting, you might not even be able to tell the difference. That's actually one of the reasons why reformed guys, when they are criticizing charismatics, they will say, we are doing um, papalawo pagan stuff. Because it actually looks very alike, to be honest with you. Even down to speaking in tongues. In the world, they'll call it glossolalia. We call it speaking in tongues. So there are, there are sometimes when a person can be under the influence of all these spirits and the person will be speaking in tongues, so to speak. Right? It looks very alike. So how can we differentiate them? That's how Apostle Paul began to tell them that, see, the spirit of the prophet is, sub- is subject to the prophet. When you guys are gathered together, you can act in a certain way. Since we know from our culture as Jewish cultures that the women cover her hair, cover their hair, right? It is good for you guys to cover your hair. Don't prophesy and forget yourself. Don't shave your head. Because that's another thing that pagan priestesses uh, of Athena used to do in Corinth. They used to shave their head. Before you come out and they will think that you too, you are worshipping Shongu. Church, are we together? Are we together? Praise God. That is the essence of this meeting. What is the place of looking drunk? Hallelujah. What is the place of looking drunk? Is it good? What is the place of looking drunk in charismatics? Hallelujah. Praise God. Are we, are we together? Right, so I was explaining to you guys that I, I said something earlier that that is one example that is indisputable. Other examples that are usually used for emotionalism in the scriptures are highly contested that even I personally actually don't believe that they speak of emotionalism. Let's look at John chapter 18. John chapter 18. This is a very interesting story. Let's start from verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? So they came to arrest Jesus, right? This is the story of how they came to arrest Jesus. Verse 5. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he. Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They, no, it's actually like this. This is actually the correct description. They drew back and fell to the ground. No, sorry. Okay, so, yeah, I was, I was wrong. So this is the correct thing. They drew back and fell to the ground. It was not an unconscious thing. They drew back and fell to the ground. So, two things. Number one, they fell to the ground, most likely face forward from the description and the use of the words. One. Number two, there was the use of their intentionality. So, it is not the same as being slain under the spirit. When a person is slain under the spirit, most likely the person falls backwards or sideways without control. When the person decides to draw back and fall to the ground, it is most likely in worship. Church, are we together? Are we together? It's similar to what happens in um, Revelations chapter 1. This is another scripture that is usually used. Revelation chapter 1 verse 17, talking about when an angel showed up. 
verse 16. In his right hand, he held, when Jesus showed up to John, he said in his right hand, verse 16, he said in his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. So his face was like the sun shining all his brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. This has often used also to say that a person was slain before God. But the legends will tell you that the way those words were used, it is more likely that it is when a person is in reverential fear of God. When a person falls before him, he fell before him as if he was dead. That means I fell and I was too petrified to even move. Hallelujah. It was not unconscious. Because when a person is slain, under the spirit, the person is, is supposed to be in a kind of semi-conscious state. But the Bible tells us that he was he fell and Jesus tapped him and was talking to him. So he was conscious. He consciously fell before Jesus. Hallelujah. Are we together? I'm saying this because the scriptural evidence for emotionalism can sometimes be overstretched in a bid to give it a place that it should not have. Because there is idolatry of, of um, emotionalism, and I'll, and I'll show you why it can actually lead to error. Jesus actually talks about people that seek signs, and it's a sign of corruption. Um, Acts chapter 9 is another scripture where Jesus, when Apostle Paul was on the way to Emmaus, and the Bible says that Jesus showed up to him. Look at verse 3. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you what? Persecute me. So the light that shone around him scared him to the point where he fell to the ground. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. You know, when we talk about being slain in the spirit, what we're usually talking about is a person who, um, who, who um, semi-consciously or sub, yes, let me say semi-consciously, um, experiences something that makes them to lose their full consciousness and then they you know they fall under the impulse power or under the influence of the impulse that they have felt praise god church are we together do you understand that so really and truly let us you know let's look at what emotionalism really is like i said it is a fruit is a manifestation of our psychological state with regards to something it is not the move of the spirit but it is our response to the move of the spirit so like this example you know i I always use if you watch videos of michael jackson in concert you get i'm I'm sure i've seen those popular videos right where michael jackson just shows up and just stands in one position and you see people screaming and screaming and screaming and some are slain, just like a person that they laid hands on. You see people falling. You see people going, when you go to all these concerts, you see people going into bouts of ecstasy where they are saying all kinds of funny things that people cannot understand. That is a form of emotionalism. Hallelujah. That is a form of emotionalism. Amen. So, it is a response. So, the people that see Michael Jackson and are slain by seeing him, what is happening is that they are in a psychological state where their heart is responding to him so much that it has an effect on their body. Do you understand that? 
their heart is responding to him so much that he has an effect on the body. And so one of the things that happens is that in the same way in charismatics, in emotion, emotionalizing charismatics, is that one of the things that you find, for example, is that when a person has become trained and the person has, be, has begun to res, recognize the presence of God more easily, you, do you understand? Or a person has become used to believers' meetings. Well, one of the things that you first notice as a person is that you will find that your threshold for emotionalism comes lower. You find yourself responding much more easily. Why? Because it's about the state of your mind. If you remember, you cast your brain, your mind back to the time when you were not um, aware, when you were not um, what do you call it, um, informed or educated about things of the spirit, when you did not have another thing very important is honor and respect. The amount of value a person places on something is the thing that inspires or leads to a person's emotionalism. So if you, were, if, you, if you can cast your mind back to the time when you did not value spiritual things so much, when you did not value a person's word of knowledge, you did not value a minister so much, you did not value how God can use a minister for you so much, one of the things that you notice, even guys that are scoffers, people that don't take spiritual things seriously, one of the things that you notice is that in such environments where you are feeling goosebumps and you can feel the power of God, they'll be looking and standing. And they're not moved. You, you'll be saying the power of God is here. Oh, whoa nothing. Why? Because of value. Because of where the heart is. So what I've been telling you now should have made you begin to understand some things. That emotionalism in itself is neither good nor bad. It is our response to it. And that is the reason why to try to criticize emotionalism, people's response to spiritual things is an error. Because you know the funny thing is that you can never stop emotionalism. Wherever the presence of God is, there must be emotionalism. Because you must, unless you don't value that, that um, atmosphere, unless you don't value that atmosphere, when the power of God is touching you on your inside, when you have become aware that this is the presence of God, it must lead to some emotional manif- um, response. Church, I get what I'm saying. By the time you look at a man and you value the anointing on his life, when he lays hands on you and he tells you that something has been communicated, it is expected, now not for everybody, don't forget I said it's first of all the sum of your own psychological state. So there are people that really and truly, they will not find themselves being slain. But there are those that will be slain and their being slain is not wrong. Do you understand what I just said to you? So emotionalism in itself is neither good nor bad. It is how it is undertaken. Emotionalism itself is neither good nor bad, but it is how it is undertaken. So it is expected that in a meeting of believers where the presence of God is, there will be an emotional response. For example, you're in a meeting and you see a vision of something. You will not with a straight face receive the vision. See, I see a vision. A queue of long people are coming to drink from the fountain in this assembly. I'm, I'm using an example of one that we saw here. And then you now say, plenty of people are going to come and they receive from the fountain. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's lift up our hands. Even I lift up your hands, there is the emotionalism. You see, and we receive this prophecy, we receive this vision with gladness in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now walk away. <laughs> it's not possible. It is not possible. When God shows you some good stuff like that, you are expected to respond. If you value it so much, it will do something to you. That is the reason why if you hear really good music, if you hear really good if you are someone that has a good ear for music and you hear really good music, you find out that you can, you know, you can feel goosebumps listening to it. Are we together? Isn't it? This is also the reason why emotionalism can be engineered. It can be faked. It can be engineered. And the faking will be in the person faking it, not necessarily in the person that is feeling it. Do you understand what I just said? Okay. <laughs> That's what I just said now. It's a bit complicated. Do you know it is possible to, for a person to have so much value for the things of God, for charismatics, that when the person comes to a meeting, at the mere suggestion of the fact that God is here, the person begins to emotionally respond to that. But the person that gathered the meeting, his mind is not there. He does not believe God is here, but he's trying to, for his own ulterior motive, try to gather people for personal gain. And then the person begins to put the music together in a nice way. The person can even come and be telling lies. Okay, like, like an example of one of the stories I heard of some guys that did some things in the past, where they would go and they would, when they invite them for a program, they would send their boys to go ahead to the church and write down the plate numbers of people's cars and give it to the man. And when it's time for the program, you say, there's somebody here. Your plate number is KJ64X. You are the one who come out. God said, today is your day. Right? Now listen. The person that did that faking might have faked an atmosphere for emotionalism. But do you know the person that he said it to? His response is not fake. Do you know that? His own response is not fake. And his own response is actually in honor and belief that God is there. That's why in heaven you see some very, very strange kind of judgments. So such a person is responding properly and you cannot take it away from the person. You can't. But this is the thing about emotionalism, right? The, pro- the issue with emotionalism is that emotionalism is extremely contagious and it is spectacular. When you go to a meeting and you hear people saying, and people fall in and they're saying, ee, 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 ee. or you enter a church atmosphere and they're playing the keyboard and you see someone crying, 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 and then you see another person laughing, 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 and some person is slain in the Holy Spirit like this and all that. You know, when you enter that kind of place, you're like, ah, or more, let me come and be, let me behave myself properly. Emotionalism is contagious, it gets to our minds, it's attractive, it's a sign. And that is exactly the reason why emotionalism can have issues. Because you can actually separate emotionalism from the charismatic. You can separate emotionalism from God. You can separate emotionalism from the spirit. And begin to worship emotionalism as a thing in its own. Whereby, people begin to gather. And this is one of the places where the excesses came. That you know, led to a lot of pushback. Uh, you know, people, um, people like uh, Dr. Michael Brown began to address where you begin to have a place where people are gathering believers' meetings and you're saying God is here, God is here, and we're laying hands on people and people are falling, 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 and there's no single actual tangible event happening there. He wrote a book about it and I began to say, you're going to have meetings where we have people being slain, 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 and not even common headache is healed. You have people being slain, 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 and nothing actually substantive happened. 
people are just laying and they're crying and, and nothing actually happened. You can actually get to that point where you begin to gather meetings and you say we're having believers meetings and all that will be happening will be emotionalisms and no actual move of the spirit. It can actually be divorced. And when you get to that point, what you have is a kind of idolatry. Church, I was together. When we get to the point where you cannot even control your emotionalism, that's where there's a problem. Because the emotionalism is something such that you should be able to control it. If it gets to the point where it is distracting as a person or as a minister, or as a child of God, you should get to the point where you'll be able to stop it from leading to a distraction. Because it is a fruit. It is like smoke. It is not the fire. When the smoke is coming too much and the fire that was supposed to be using to cook something is not even useful for us, to, for us again, what do you do? You get rid of it. So you cannot be worshipping smoke when there's no fire to cook food. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And that is precisely the reason why this issue of emotionalism has to be dealt with. Praise God. Church out together. So, when we have meetings where, and that's why, you know, like I explained earlier, it's hard, to, it's hard for you to have charismatics going on and there will be no emotionalism. It's hard to have a revival. It's impossible. Let me not say hard. Let me venture to say it's impossible to have a place where the Holy Spirit is actually doing things in people's lives and there will be no emotionalism. It is possible for people to have plenty of emotionalism and the Holy Spirit is not there. It's true. It's possible. But it's impossible for the Holy Spirit to be in a place and there will be no emotionalism. That means if you are someone that has never found themselves in any kind of emotionalism, you need to check yourself. Because like I was saying earlier, emotionalism is the first fruit of the kind of value and honor that you have for the things of the Spirit. Church, all together. That's the reason why this thing that people always say, I can never fall, I can fall. Some people say, it is you that will decide to fall and you'll be correct. And some people will say, when the Spirit comes over you, you cannot choose. And they're both correct. Do you know why? Because both of them are speaking to a frame of mind. Both of them are speaking to the state of the mind of a person. If you are someone that psychologically you are in a place where, for whatever reason, you don't see emotionalism the way other people see it, eh? you cannot fall. I'm sorry, but you can't. And any pastor that feels like they can make you fall should try. They can never. They land on you. You say, thank you very much. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. But a person who has valued it and has received it as something that can happen to them and they receive it as their response to receiving something from God. Do you know what happens? They are the kind of people that the Holy Spirit can slay them and they will, be, they will not even know when it happens to them. That's what I just said to you. Church, you understand what I just said to you? There is no burden that can be slain without honor. There are some people that they might say that they are externally resisting it but in their hearts they have received it. The point where they receive it, you don't know. That's why it look like as if they are resisting, but the Spirit took them. The Holy Spirit can never, the Holy Spirit does not rape people. Even for Jesus to come and implant a seed, he had to take permission from the husband and the wife. The Holy Spirit has never slain anybody by force that you, you must fall to thee. But no. You yield. So when a person is saying, I can never fall, don't look at the person and say he's lying. No, he knows what he's saying. 
But when a person also says, ah, when the Holy Spirit carries you, you will fall. That person too is also correct. Why? Because both of them are in different psychological places. You understand what I'm saying to you? Like me now, I can be forming, I can never fall. I can never fall. Because emotionalism, I'm strong, I'm a strong man. But I also know that there are some men, if they show up, I cannot guarantee my standing. (laughs) Hallelujah. For example, having a meeting now, and Pastor David comes in, and I have so much desire that Pastor David will minister to me. If he lays hand on me, I will fall. It's about honor. I mean, now before when I was young, I used to say that thing, I can never fall, I can never fall. Now I went for a meeting where the meeting was three days. The first two days, all kinds of powerful things happened. And on the third day, they now called me out. By that time, I've cooked. You understand? Multi cook. I was ready. I was me, before the meeting, I was fine. I can never they lay hands on me like this, few flat on the ground. Hallelujah. But you also notice that <laughs> it's very strange. This is the reason why when a big man of God lays hands on you, you fall. But when your mates lay hand on you, you don't fall. Don't they both have the same Holy Spirit? Or you think the big man of God has plenty of Holy Spirit? You're only small. No. Do you know the difference? You. <laughs> Church, are we together? So that's why you cannot be a place where the Holy Spirit will do something and there will be no emotionalism. It's not possible. But it's possible for emotionalism to carry the day. Now, what we want to correct... What we want to ensure as we are going forward, and don't forget I said, these teachings are building us towards something. What we don't want is a case where people are seeking signs, where people are looking for emotionalism without the corresponding honor. Because the truth is that emotionalism can satisfy in a sense, especially if that's what you're looking for. You just want to have a good time, have a meeting, and nothing actually is happening. Praise God. So, um, Jonathan Edwards wrote he said some things about that time so when the great awakening was happening and people were having all these diverse manifestations and emotional revivalism was happening people began to question it that whether it is the will of God whether it is not the will of God right? so I want to outline five things that he said that are very very important and seminal that we also can receive as instruction how to know when an emotional revivalistic atmosphere how to know whether it is of God or not Church out together, like I was saying ex- earlier. Remember, emotionalism can be can may not be in response to God. So, how do we tell the difference? Hallelujah! How do we tell the difference? How do we know whether this thing is of God, whether this move is of God, no matter how bizarre it looks to you? Because there are actually some emotionalism that can be offensive. Do you know that? Do you know some emotionalism that can be offensive to you as a person? Especially if you are coming from a background of dignified composure. There's some emotionalism that can actually be offensive to you. For example, and this is the thing. This is the reason why people that say that there are not many scriptures for emotionalism, therefore emotionalism should not be taken seriously and all that, they are wrong because there are not many scriptures for looking right and left before crossing the road. Are there? Are there many scriptures on um, how to wake up in the morning. This is the reason why the ways that people can have emotionalistic responses to God are literally as unlimited as their people's 
different psychological states of mind. If a person tells you that the power of God came upon me and I was frozen and I could not move, I felt like as if I was stiff. Don't say no. When the Holy Spirit comes, it makes you rejoice. You'll just be feeling free. That's, it's not your place to say. One person will say that when the Holy Spirit came upon me, I began to rejoice. Woo-hoo-hoo. And another person will say, when the Holy Spirit came upon me, I began to roll on the floor and I was worshipping God. Another person will say, I began to rababa. Another person will say, I began to laugh and laugh and laugh. Another person will say, I began to weep and cry uncontrollably. Another person will say, I just sat down and I could not believe what I was hearing. So, you cannot really dictate to people how they will respond to their God. It is my God, it's not your own. It is my move of the Spirit. It is God working in me, not your own. Hallelujah. So, when we see all these things, how do we know whether what is going on in that atmosphere, whether it is just people having a good time, whether what they are doing is honoring the flesh or honoring Satan, or whether it is actually of God. Hallelujah. Five things. Number one, does the atmosphere, does that work, does it cause Jesus to be exalted? This is how to know when the emotionalism verse and the charismatics, you know, in operation in a place. This is how to know whether it is right or wrong. This is how to even restrain such meetings to remain within the ambit of what we call edification. Are we together? Number one, does it exalt Jesus? If you have a meeting where you begin to hear things like, in fact, let's leave Jesus aside. Me, myself, I have the power and I'm going to give you the power today. No matter the amount of ooh, ah, they are doing there, just know that it's not for you as a Christian. When it begins to lead to praise of a man, it begins to lead to a cottage following of a person and Jesus is not exalted. You went to the meeting and you did not come back. You did not come out of the meeting. You watch people in the meeting and what's going on there is not Jesus being exalted but something else being exalted. A social thing where people are just you know, leading to all kinds of things. Then you know something is wrong. And that's why we can be in a meeting and we will observe that the way this meeting is going is becoming disorderly and Jesus is not being exalted and you nip it in the board before the emotionalism gets out of hand. For example, you have a meeting and the next thing you start hearing is people shouting. Shouting at each other. I say, you are a demon. You say, no, it's not me. You are the demon. Have you ever seen that kind of meeting before? Ah, remember one day he says, well, my cousin say, hmm, yes, there's a demon here and it is you, it is you, it is you. Say, oh, guy, this woman is not alright. Carry her out. That one is not of God. It doesn't matter how wishy washy it looks. It's not of God. Church, are we together? You are in a meeting and sisters are following their anointing and all their clothes are opening. And you can tell that all the brothers are not conf- are confused. Because people are being full and then you see people are distracted. Some people are trying to look away. Some people are peeping. Some people, and then it's just... You no, know you do? Praise the Lord. <sighs> Spirits calm down. Everybody stand up. Hallelujah. Any gathering that does not glorify Jesus is not of God. 
Amen. Does the work, number two, does the work turn people against Satan and worldliness? Any kind of meeting of charismatics and emotionalism that leads people to even more worldliness, that leads people more into Satan. People are coming for a meeting and you are beginning to lead people to begin to think more fetishly. People are coming to the meeting and they are um, nights visits to the Babalawo is not taken from them. But rather, they want to be going more. Whatever it is you are doing in that atmosphere is wrong. When the Spirit of God shows up in a place, what happens is that every kind of Satan word or worldly word spirit that is in, in that place should be taken away from people. So if worldliness is increasing by reason of such an atmosphere, if things towards Satan is increasing by reason of that atmosphere, then you can tell confidently that that meeting is not of God. Church, I was together. You gather a meeting and you are having word of knowledge to people and the effect is having on people in that meeting is that they are becoming more greedy. They are loving more, money more. They are worshipping money more. Then you can tell. It's not of God. Hallelujah. Church, I was together. Praise God. Verse number three. Does the work produce greater love and esteem for the scriptures? Hallelujah. Does the law does the work produce greater love and esteem for the scriptures? Amen. Please come here, sir. <laughs> Praise God. Does the work produce produce greater love and esteem for the scriptures? So when people are gathered in a place, and then what it begins to, you know, by reason of the virtue of that, those kinds of meetings, people begin to say things like, um, um, the Bible does not contain everything. Some things happen in that meeting. The Bible does not contain it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You guys can relate with that. When a man of God gets to the point where the kind of meetings that he gathers, there's a lot of charisma and emotionalism and people are following the anointing and then what it begins to result in is that when people are coming out of that meeting or people are following that meeting, what they begin to say is things like, um, the Bible does not have anything. There are some things that are deeper than the Bible. Let's leave the Bible aside. Let's, what this man is saying once he gets to that point, you know that that thing they are having in their meeting is not of God. Every genuine move of the Spirit, every genuine move of the Spirit leads people more to their Bible. There's a greater esteem for the Scriptures. There's a greater love for the Scriptures that happens in such meetings. Church out together. So by the time you find yourself in a place where you are going for a believers meeting and everybody is shouting, ooh, ah, hey, Holy Spirit, ooh, I'm, 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 like they're possessed. And what it's doing is leading people away from honor for the scriptures that thing is not of God because they look alike amen they look alike verse 4 does the word does the work lead people to truth does the work lead people to truth does the work lead people to truth when we have all these kinds of meetings People are gathered for all those kinds of things and they have it and you know have what they call those revivals and believers meetings. And what it results in is that it doesn't help people to value the truth more. It doesn't help people to value the truth of God's word more, but it's now leading to all kinds of errors. You have a revival meeting and they saw visions in the place 
they had all kinds of dreams in the place and in the, the, after they finished from the meeting one of the confirmations they had in the meeting is that Jesus is not God but Jesus is a creation that God created I don't care what kind of manifestations they had he's not of God that's how a lot of all these heretic um, denominations broke out in the place of having all kinds of charismatic meetings and all kinds of things are happening things are happening and everything and everything and all kinds of spirits are there and that's one thing emotionalism can actually allow demons to step in that's why you have to test every spirit in the place of having emotionalism and all that the devils with his devices can actually step in and derail things next thing in the place the next thing you just hear someone start saying um, angel skurika angel skurika is the one that is controlling everything angel skurika is the one that's in charge of this place before you know it we're worshiping angel skurika yeah, all of you are going to hell. <laughs> Praise God. And that's how denominations will break out. And they will say they had encounters where they saw Angel Skurika. And so that's how they know that Angel Skurika is the way. Church out together. Emotionalism and charismatics must always be within the ambit of God's word. Verse 5. Does the work result in love to God and man? Any kind of charismatic move that leads people to become haughty, to become puffed up, to begin to feel like we are the men of God, you guys are the babies of God, we are the one that God loves, you people, God do not love you. That thing is not of God. Because emotionalism can be artificially created, like I told you. It's about the value and honor that you have to a place. So a man can come in, play the keyboard in a certain way, arrange lights in a certain way, sing certain kinds of songs, and next thing is goose pimples. But be doing that in the spirit that is antithetical to God. Church all together. So that's why it's important you understand. There's a difference between the move of God and there's a difference between emotionalism. Whenever God is, there will be some emotionalism because there's no way God will be in a place that you won't respond. But there can be a place where people will be responding, 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 and God is not there. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, Apostle Paul tells us that the spirit of the subject is subject to the prophet. So, when emotionalism is getting distracting, it can be maintained. It can be controlled. You can make it moderate. You cannot fall under the anointing to the point where you remove all your clothes. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is you yielding yourself in a funny way. You can't control yourself. There is no way the Holy Spirit will slay you and you will naked yourself on the floor. It's you that wants to be naked. I hear what I'm saying to you. This might sound jarring to the senses of some people who have gotten used to the fact that they've always told you that when the Holy Spirit takes you, you never even know where you are. It's a lie. You can know where you are because you are the one yielding. That's the reason why the Holy Spirit has never taken you to the point where your child will be there and you will fall on your child and enjoy your child. Have you ever been slain on the express before? When trailer is coming. <laughs> Can you be slain when trailer is coming and say, I fall under the anointing and trailer is coming? You can't. In the same way, when we're in the body of Christ, we must, we must control ourselves. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. So even in emotionalism, there must be control so that the devil will not send his agents amongst us and be misbehaving. You tell people that... Um, it's all about responding to God. Just give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. And there are some children of Jezebel that will come to the church that have come to scatter the meeting. And they will wear mini skates and be forming that they are falling under the anointing. And be distracting everyone. You that you pastor. That you already, you already have your own issues. 
the brother is in protocol, we are helping him. We know his problems. And then the sister is falling under the anointing and all her clothes is open and say, ah. Praise God. <laughs> My parents are here. There's a very interesting story that I'm very sure they will, they will be aware of. And I will share the testimony. The story. There's one pastor that we had in it was some time ago. The man was from South. I've forgotten his name. Pastor Julius, thank you very much. Um, we were, we were, in a, we were in a meeting, a believers meeting, and then they were casting out demons. You know, normal believers meeting and everything. And then there was this that thing in the church then. And she started doing, ooh, ah, ooh, like someone is possessed. Ooh, you, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and the pastor Julius did something very shocking. I think he just discerned. And he just said, will you stop that nonsense? I'm not asking you to hype my meeting for me. I don't need you to hype my meeting. Stop pretending as if something's wrong with you. Oh, you stand up and stand up. And she stood up. <laughs> I, I'm, t- I'm not joking. And she stood up and packed her clothes and went. So what is that? Praise God. Ah, I remember when we were in school. That's when we were young and we liked all those kind of things. That's when someone will now come and come, come stupid prophecy. We have him in Zambuja and Ooh, wow, ah, ah. I say, don't say the spirit of God. The queen of the coast is here, but she will never prevail. And he is prophesying in such a way that it's like Satan is being exalted. Do you understand that? It's like that girl that had that evil spirit in that Greek town, forgotten it, where Paul um, cast the demon out of her. She was following and saying, eh, You are servants of God. You are servants of God. He run you. What he's doing is that he wants to derail the message. So that as they are preaching, they are not hearing what they are preaching. They are looking at so, The Bible says that he followed them for like one week. Shouting your sons. Imagine you want to preach the gospel. And there's one little uh, possessed child. Besides shouting, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. I want to preach. You are a child of God. <laughs> Imagine that kind of thing. I want to preach. say, Jesus died. You are a child. <sighs> say, you these evil spirits, get out. Jesus will be in the synagogue. And one demon will come and shouting, you are the son of God. There's nobody like you. Why, why this? Who asks you to confess what everybody already knows? That's why all these things that people are having meetings and they're shouting, there's a spirit here, there's a queen of the cold. You are not impressing anybody. Test every spirit. And they are gathering just to distract everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, emotional, remember what I said. Emotionalism is our response to charismatics. God is in us. And God is doing things and we feel it and we respond. Yes, it's okay to cry and shout and be slain and all those kind of things. But it is still our response. So, we must not worship the response beyond its level. We must not carry the response beyond its level. It's so important that you understand this to the point that you must know that the amount of emotionalism in a meeting is not the amount of the move of the spirit in that meeting. Do you know that? The way people shout, we, woo, 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 is not equal to how much God has moved, like I was telling you guys. It's actually possible. It got to a point that um, Dr. McRobert writes a book about it. You know, chastising Pentecostals in America. It got to a point where we'll be gathering meeting and they'll be laying hands and everybody will be following around and be shouting, we, woo, we, woo, we, woo. And single headache, they will not heal. Everybody will come, shout, fall under the anointing and go back. Come next Sunday to fall under the anointing again and go back. Some of them will carry from the falling under the anointing, they're going to their boyfriend's house. <laughs> from there, from their falling under the anointing, they're going to the beer parlor. Don't forget what we said. It's supposed to collect the world from people. 
Come on, appraisers are here. Ask them. They will tell you that in their own days, when they met charismatics, that many of them, their life just changed. They do not know why. The thing they used to do before, they could not do it again. That's what they're supposed to do. Someone is coming to fall under the anointing every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. Yet, is like I'm just using examples from when I'm in school, and I don't offend anybody, so nobody will feel bad, right? But let me just use it so that it can bless you. Like, like one sister like this, every Sunday, whenever we say we're having prayer meeting, clinical, clinical, before you know it, you say God is here. Oh, oh, oh. Every semester, she their abort. And you always fall on the anointing. This falling is supposed to collect this iwakala pala from your hand. Every semester, they will hear your gist. What was the loan you about? Every semester, you are always falling. Which kind of fall you they fall? Every time. We are not saying your falling is fake, but which kind of falling are you falling? Church, I was together. You can actually be in a meeting, and there will actually be minimum emotionalism, and the Holy Spirit has done something massive. Do you know that revelation knowledge is not a less powerful manifestation of the spirit than healing the sick? Do you know that? Do you know that? Changing a person's mind, God opening a person's eyes, for them to change their way of thinking is a greater miracle than healing the sick. Because if a person has malaria and you supernaturally heal the person from malaria, paracetamol tablets can do it. But you see someone that has coconut head that we are saying leave the things of the world and come to church. There is no medicine for it. I hear what I'm saying to you. Did you hear what I said to you now? A person can have migraine and you supernaturally heal it. Fine. Sometimes you can use medicine and it will go. But someone that has said there's no God is not medicine you will use to treat that kind of thing. There is no surgery for it. Revelation knowledge. A person's values being changed. A heart being saved. Is not a less miracle than someone following under the anointing. Church out together. So we must always understand this. And finally, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, um, I'm going to say this. Matthew chapter 12. I want to show you something here. And this is a, um, a critique that I feel I should respond to. Many times, people will say, because Jesus said this. So, so Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the Lord said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Verse 39, he now answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But none will be given, giving it except the sign of prophet Jonah. Praise God. So the Pharisees were asking Jesus that Jesus show us something, show us something. And Jesus now said, I'm not showing you anything because you are a wicked and adulterous generation. So some people will say, um, if you are as a Christian, if you go to a meeting and you are saying, um, we want to have a meeting so that we can see signs and wonders, that you are part of the wicked and adulterous generation, that Jews seek a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom, but you know, Jesus is the power and wisdom of God to us. So people are not supposed to seek a sign. But that's the misinterpretation. What I'm trying to answer here is, is it okay for us to encourage emotionalism in charismatics? Is it okay for us to ask for signs and wonders in the believers' meetings? Is it okay for us to ask God that God do something in our midst? God do something great in our midst. Is it okay for us to tell people, to encourage people to respond to God? I've already done the correction, isn't it? So now we're talking normally. Is it okay for us to have believers meetings where we encourage people to, know, to, you know, to yield to God? Is it okay for you to lay hands on a person and you can see that the person is feeling something but the person is trying to resist and you tell the person let go, let go, let go. Is it okay? 
you know, people will look at the scripture and say, Jesus said we should not seek a sign. So we should just come to church, pray, and know that. If you start saying God drew signs and wonders amongst us, then there's something wrong. But that's incorrect. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, right, chapter 4, that when the Christians were being persecuted, that they gathered together and they said, Oh God, that created the heavens and earth, and prayed that you know by your son, that you know by your son who died for us and everything. You know, says that you know, do signs and wonders amongst us. The difference is this the Pharisees were coming from a heart of wickedness asking Jesus to do a sign because they would never believe the sign. We, when we're asking God to do things amongst us, we are not doing it so that we can believe. We believe already. We're asking for that sign for the glo- for the, to glorify God's name. Either in, as he's meeting our needs, either as he's stirring us up, either as he's strengthening our, our, um, our, um, our assurance and conviction and all those things. We believe already. And we are receiving those things for the glory of God. It's different from people that don't believe and are asking for a sign. Just what I'm saying to you. So when a believer is praying to God and say, God, do something mighty amongst us as we gather together today, do something amongst us. He's not doing what Jesus is talking about here. Him is doing what the apostles, what the believers were doing in the book of Acts. What the equivalent of what Jesus is talking about here is when a Muslim comes to your church and say, Oh, yeah, Pastor, show us what you can do. Do you understand that? That is the difference. We are not the Pharisees. We are not a wicked, adulterous generation. When we are asking God to do something, we are doing it as children of God, enjoying our entitlement in Christ. If the Syrophoenician woman can talk, to, can tell Jesus that even the dogs can eat of the crumbs, how much more the children? Is the children can ask, Daddy, give me bread. So a child can ask, Daddy, give me healing. Daddy, show yourself amongst us. He's not saying it to mock God. He's not saying it to say something, you know, to try to taunt God or anything. He's saying it because it's for the glory of God. But when a Muslim now comes into your church and now says, they said that you people have miracles here, or they go for a crusade and say, oh, yeah, Rehan, bonke, do something, let us do it. The Bible, Jesus says that no miracle will be given to that person. Do you know why? Because there's no amount of, number two, it has two implications. And this is also of apologetic relevance. Number one implication is that there's nothing you can ever do that can ever satisfy such a heart. I always explain to you guys, volition determines intellection. The state of a person's mind determines how they interpret evidence. The way a person is thinking determines how they will look at what you are telling them. A woman, or a woman that does not want to leave her husband's house because she's afraid of the psychological trauma of leaving her husband's house, when her husband is cheating on her and her friends are telling her, we saw your husband in that place, she will say it's a lie. He went for work. When she sees chat on his phone and the husband should tell her, um, the chat is from my younger sister, she will say it's, it's, it's true. I believe him. Something inside of her knows that killing you in jail. But because her mind cannot accept that this man can cheat on me because of, she does not want to face that reality, she will be reinterpreting the evidence as something else. In the same way, once a person does not believe in God, if you should heal the thing in front of the person, you will say, you people faked it. You faked it. There's nothing you can ever say. If you heal migraine in their presence, you will say, is it today that migraine is going? Is it not the same migraine we should take paracetamol for? People that crucified Jesus, they saw Jesus on the cross. They are the one that satisfied him dead. They are the one that gave his dead body to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph went to bury him. When he rose from the dead, you know what they said? They said they stole his body. Where's the body they stole? And they stole it and hid it somewhere. Over 500 people said, we saw him. He says a lie. You people stole his body. 
So there's nothing like incontrovertible evidence. Once a person's heart is unbelief, is in unbelief, no matter what you say, the person will interpret what you say in another place. That's why if someone does not like you, like if you have someone in the office that does not like you, maybe because you guys fought before and everything, there's nothing you ever do that can make the person ever be happy. Everything you do, the person will interpret it as something else. If you smile at him when you are talking to him, you say, he's mocking me. See the way he's mocking me. If you bone when you are talking to him, you say, he's, he's angry at me. He wants to do me wicked. There's nothing... If, the, if, the person, if you don't greet the person, you say, see, he's not greeting me. He's not greeting me. Why? Volition determines intellectual. The state of a man's heart determines how we interpret the evidence. So a wicked and, a, a wicked and adulterous generation, no matter what Jesus does for them, there's not, that's why if you read down that, that scripture to the end, Jesus now says that, see, on that day, it's Jonah and the queen of the south that will judge you. Because all the things I'm doing in front of you people's eyes, that you're telling me I should still do a sign, is not enough for you. The people that would, I did not even do any sign for them, and they believed, on judgment day, they will judge you. Because what they will say is that, ah, ah, what do you want Jesus to do for you again? Church out together. And the second implication of that is that Telling God to do something to impress you and God should answer you is not God again. When did God become your mate? Show me a sign if you want me to believe in you. You are titani. You that if I say you don't exist now, your entire generation will just disappear from existence. God should come down to your level. You just imagine it. It's, you just imagine one small rat telling you, do a sign for me so that I can believe in you. And you too, you will now do it. Because of what? I need to impress you. God, God, like the person that created the whole universe, to come to do something because you commanded him to do it. Does it not sound funny to you? Of course, God won't answer you. He has given you enough evidence. He's not going to move. That's why they call him unchangeable changer. You cannot change him. You cannot move God. It's you that will move. He has dropped the evidence. It's not your command that will make him change the evidence to impress you. You either fall in line or you fall out. Church, out together. So that's because an adulterous nation does not apply to us. So when believers are having a meeting, right, and we're doing everything right, like I've been talking about since the beginning, right, we are doing those things for our benefit. It is for the glory of God. So please, feel free. And when believers meeting, have value and honor for the things of God. You will perceive the presence of God. You will feel it. Respond to it. Hallelujah. Respond to it. When the believers meeting and you hear the word of God, you know, and all that, you respond to it. Ensure that excesses don't come in the place of, you know, doing all those things. Because all those things are God's gifts to us for us to enjoy. Hallelujah. Praise God. Have I taught somebody something this night? Let's bow down our heads and let's pray.